According to RP on WJFS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media, it's your girl Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I hope you guys are thriving, striving, and surviving in these streets. So happy new month, everyone. We are now in the month of November, which means we are one step closer to the month of perfection, which is the month of December. It is my birth month. It is Jesus's birth month and so many other greats. But Either way, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We are in the month of November. It is Scorpio season. And I don't mention that because I have any particular interest in Scorpios. Those of you who know me uh, know that I have certain thoughts. However, the Lord is funny. God is a funny God. He, we will never understand his ways. And he has surrounded me, surrounded me by Scorpios. So, November 1st, 2006, my son, Jediah, came into the world at a whopping two pounds. He was a preemie. Um, It was an interesting journey. It's been an interesting 16 years. But guys, I am the parent of a 16-year-old boy. So I wanted to shout out my son, Jediah, who turned 16 on November 1st. Happy birthday to you, the fruit of my ovaries, my firstborn, probably my only child. (laughs) But I wanted to take this time to acknowledge him as he's been an active part of my life for the last 16 years. And it's crazy because when you have kids, that's when you really see like how your life has played out. And I cannot believe that I have a 16 year old, which means that I have just been out and about doing what I need to do, hustling, grinding for 16 years. I'm like, damn, almost like, I don't know. It's something about having kids because it just keeps you in line with how old you are. And I'm getting old. That's all that means. Along with my son, whose birthday is November 1st, my mother's birthday is coming up on Tuesday. So they are literally a week apart. Their birthdays will forever be a week apart. So my mother's birthday is November 8th, which is election day. So I just wanted to do, uh, I guess, a happy early birthday to my mother, the woman who birthed me, brought me into this world, has been an example. And a lot of the things, even though I always talk about how we don't have the best relationship, but a lot of who I am actually is my mother, my my activism, my my community service, uh, me being team too much, doing a whole bunch of things, having all these degrees. Um, I would say being intelligent, being, I don't know, there's a lot of things that she is that I've, that I've, I've taken after her. I think, you know, if you know my mom, um, there are things that I am not, <laughs> but in terms of, um, how active I am and how I'm, you know, always doing something and my ambition, there you go. My ambition, my work ethic, um, that has come from my mom. So I have to credit her for that. So happy birthday to Gladys. Um, those of you who follow me on social media know that, you know, they're, Gladys is interesting. Gladys 
is is a vibe. <laughs> Gladys is a vibe. Every year around oh on her birthday, my brother and I engage in this heated debate, heated conversation around her age. So I am not going to say how old she is because I'm not looking for smoke this year. As as I get older, we have learned to just leave certain things alone. And my mom, you know, even though I am not following her on social media and she is not following me on social media because I refuse, <laughs> I've refused the friend request. Um, she finds a way to find out like what we're doing and what we're talking about. So I know that if I drop her age on this show, somebody is going to say something. It never fails. Like the Haitian spy community is deep. Like the spies are out there because you know, why would they, why would the gummons be listening to according to RP? Like, why would they even know? But there's always a gummon that penetrates the circle somehow and then serves as like the spy that goes off and shares the information. So either way, <laughs> happy birthday to my son who turned 16 on the first happy early birthday to my mother who turned you know, whatever age she's turning <laughs> on the 8th. And I also have several aunts. I have my aunts who are also um, in November. They're also Scorpios. My late grandmother was a Scorpio. Um, so there's a lot of Scorpios in my life. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> but I will say that having Scorpios in your life in general, they're very interesting people. They do keep you on your toes, but it's it's an interesting dynamic. I have friends who are Scorpios and I love them to death. And I've never had any issues with my Scorpio friends. I guess it's the ones that 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 are in your deep, deep circle, right? I guess it's the ones that you have to have love for, that you love for, that tend to be interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I know it's not just me because we talk, me and my friends who are not Scorpios talk about Scorpios all the time. But anyway, this is not a Scorpio episode. <laughs> I definitely was sidetracked. So <laughs> we'll leave that alone. Either way, so for the last uh, month, I would say, the last month, we've had several episodes um, around the issue of the Haitian migrant crisis. And so I don't want to recap the whole conversation because we have the literally in the last month, we've had two episodes dedicated to the Haitian migrant crisis. And the reason I am having these episodes and the reason I want to continue the conversation is because the crisis is still a crisis. And I know that the media will lead you to believe that either all is well or the issue is no longer an issue. And, you know, have you believing that um, the Haitian migrant crisis is not a thing and that we don't need to care about it and that we don't need to talk about it. But that's not the case. And I know that me being Haitian American, first generation, you know, first language being Creole, even though I was born here in America, but literally like living the Haitian experience here um, gives me fuel or I guess gives me um, or I guess would maybe explain to some why I am so passionate about this, but I'm, I'm passionate about humanity. And I've always been like that. I've always been passionate about humanity. So, you know, whether it was Haitians, whether it was Jamaicans, whether it was another group or whatever, I would always be passionate about these topics, but I guess I'm more so passionate because I'm Haitian and because I know what that struggle looks like. I know what still needs to be done. I know that things are not good. 
And so we're continuing the conversation. And because I have this platform and it's my platform, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and so if I want to raise awareness, I'm going to do that. Um, and so this week we have an amazing guest by the name of Emmanuel Depa. He's an attorney um, here in New York City. He's primarily an immigration attorney, but he also does criminal defense and a few other things that he'll talk about when he gets on here. But Emmanuel and I have known each other for years. We were both leaders in Haitian American Lawyer Association. In fact, he was the first president. I believe I was the fifth president of the organization. I think the fifth or the fourth, either way. We've known each other for some time and we've been in the work. We've been doing the work for some time um, together. And so one thing I like about Emmanuel is that he always is in the know. He is always, you know, here with the updates. Um, he's always educating himself on how things can be done and, and new ways that things can be done, right? Because I think that thinking outside the box is a critical skill that many don't possess. Even many attorneys don't possess this this skill of being able to think outside the box. And that's one thing I commend um, Emmanuel for, that he's always thinking outside the box. He's always trying to find a way when there is quote unquote no way. And so earlier this week, Emmanuel and I had a conversation about the Haitian migrant crisis and some epiphanies he's made um, and some you know interesting avenues that he believes that we can explore in order to really create the lasting impact that we want to make, that we want to create and that we want to see when it comes to immigration reform, particularly as it relates to the Haitian migrants. And so this conversation of redesignating TPS came up. And I will tell you that prior to Emmanuel, I haven't really heard many people or anyone actually talk about this ability to redesignate TPS for Haitian migrants. And so I'm not defining the terms right now because I really want you guys to tune in and to, to stay locked to Emmanuel as he explains what TPS is. For those of you who are new to the platform, new to immigration reform, new to the conversation and does not know what TPS stands for, Temporary Protective Status. Um, but what a redesignation of TPS would mean for Haitian migrants and what that would mean for the American economy, what that would mean for immigration reform, what that would mean for humanity. So definitely keep it locked um, because this is a very important episode. It's a very important show because it talks about not just what these epiphanies are, but it's this larger conversation, right, that we have to keep coming back to. When people ask, what can I do to help? What can the diaspora do to help? How can we be involved? And when we talk about immigration, when we talk about legality and things like that, people are always thinking, well, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a paralegal. I'm not an activist. I'm not into politics. You know, what can I do to assist in this Haitian migrant crisis? Like, what can I do to assist in immigration reform when I don't have that policy background or that government background? But guys, there's so much you can do. Artists have so much of a place in this conversation because you can you can raise awareness. You can show your activism through art, right? Um, those of you who are you know researchers and anal and analysts, there's so much that we can get from you because data is what drives a lot of policy, and many of us do not do research well. Many of us have no idea how to collect data. And so your skills 
are critical and important. And so again, I don't want to go on and on because we do talk about a lot of this through the episode, but I just wanted to guys to give you guys, you know, some sort of foretaste or avant-goût. Um, so you guys can really find that this episode is for you, right? It is for you. And if it's not for you, it's for somebody you know. So regardless of your ethnic background, your national origin, your race, we all have a role to play when it comes to immigration reform. We all have a role to play when it comes to humanity to ensure that individuals, regardless of their race, their creed, their gender, are being treated humanely, right? And what we're seeing with this Haitian migrant crisis is that the Haitians are not being treated humanely. And so this episode makes a call to action. And the call to action is not just for the politicians to rally around this idea of redesignating uh, TPS, but it's also a call to action to you, the listener, to sit back and identify what skills what talents, what means do you already possess that you could lend to this greater cause, right? This greater fight for human rights, for immigration reform, and particularly with this Haitian migrant crisis, what can you do? How can you lend your voice to help those who have no voice? The Haitian migrants do not have a voice of their own. And it's really up to us, whether you're part of the diaspora, whether you're an ally, to really serve as a voice for this migrant community. Um, as Emmanuel will mention in this episode, you know, they're among the most vulnerable at this point in a land that is not theirs. Um, lack of resources, lack of assistance, living in uncertainty, living in fear. Um, it's no way to live. And if there's any way that we can alleviate that, Let's try and do that. But you know, for me, if you guys, you know, have been tuning in over the years, I I don't just like to focus on the immediate. The immediate need, obviously it's immediate, it's a need. But we have to really start to think about the future. We have to think about sustainability when it comes to these issues. We are such a reactive society and sometimes I'm tired of how reactive we are, right? And I fall into that category at times, right? And being so reactionary leads to burnout. And when the work still needs to be done, if we're all burnt out, who is going to continue the torch? Who's going to continue fighting, right? So we have to start thinking about how can we, you know, be more uh, intentional? How can we create sustainable pathways, um, to see the changes that we want to change. And so I think my charge to you all as you tune into this episode is to really think about how can we create these sustainable channels? How can we consider the future and set up some, some sort of structure to identify and address these issues um, on an ongoing basis so we're not bombarded with the emergencies and the crises um, when they come, like we have to start thinking outside the box and we have to start thinking creatively and the action that we are wanting to take can't just be about the immediate. It has to be, we have to be forward thinking. So think about that. And if you guys have any thoughts, any solutions, feel free to DM us at according to RP. We're on Instagram at black Ivy media. We're on Instagram or you could send us an email at info at black um, I'm all about conversations and I'm all about, you know, bringing people together and forming coalitions. But one thing I can say that 
just forming coalitions is not sustainable. You have to really be with uh, equal-minded people, um, I'd like to say, and you have to be with individuals of integrity. You know, I have built many coalitions in the past, but I've stepped away from them because I was met with individuals who did not have integrity. And one thing about me is I do not, I am, listen, I am a Sagittarian through and through. I will dip out and ghost. And it's not because I'm not still doing the work. It's not because I don't care about the work, but there has to be integrity when it comes to this kind of work. And if there is no integrity, Rita will not be there. I will peace out and you will wonder where the hell did this girl go? I do not stick around places where there's no integrity. And that is one criticism that I have when it comes to this kind of work. There is a lack of integrity when it comes to this kind of work. And it's not fair to the people that we are trying to serve. It's not fair to our community. And it's not fair to ourselves. We're cheating, we're cheating ourselves because many of us have such great talents. But I guess talent without integrity, what is that, right? So just think about these things as you're listening to this episode. And, you know, if your brain's, you know, brain is, 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 is moving, write those ideas down, share them, and let's try to do different. Let's try to be different. So with that being said, let's move on to the meat of the show. All right, everyone, I'm here with a very special guest by the name of Emmanuel Depa. Emmanuel, please say hello. Hey, good morning. Hello. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of our platform today, Emmanuel. I know it's not your first time, but thank you for spinning the block. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Um, glad to be back. Yes, yes. So Emmanuel, there are we've we've accumulated, right? So many new followers since the last time you were on this platform. So if you could please just let us know a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. Um my name is Emmanuel DePas. I'm a Haitian American lawyer. Um I practice uh immigration, divorce, criminal criminal defense. Um one of the Founders and first presidents of uh, the Haitian American Lawyers Association of New York. Um, yeah, I've, I've been pretty uh, been pretty busy here in in, uh, in the community for some time. Um, past few years, kind of uh, got sidetracked and was doing some of my own projects, you know, in the music business. But uh, but I'm back. All right. Well, I'm happy that you're back because. Um, as some of you guys who are tuning in know that there's been a lot going on in the immigration streets, the Haitian immigration streets, as I like to say, and we've had um, several episodes in the last couple of months um, kind of highlighting the current status of Haitian migrants in particular. Um, I know that many were informed or involved in the situation that took place about a year and well, I guess almost a year and a half ago in Del Rio, Texas with the Haitian migrant crisis. Um, but because the news outlets have, I guess, 
you know, chosen not to continue coverage. I don't know if it's because it's no longer interesting or there's so many other things happening. Many have been led to believe that the Haitian crisis, the Haitian migrant crisis is essentially no more and it's fixed because they're not hearing anything about it. So I know that in your immigration practice, you like on the daily are dealing with these matters. So I kind of want to um, talk to you as an immigration attorney who, you know, has been in the courts, um, is actively working with the migrant population. What exactly is is going on now? Like, what is the current status um, of the migrants? Um, well, like you mentioned, uh, the crisis is actually still ongoing, not so much at the border, but in the inner cities. Um, so mid August to probably about October of 2021, that's when we saw the, uh, the height of the crisis. I believe at that time, there were about 14 to 15,000 Haitian migrants at the, at the Del Rio border. Uh, since then, some of them have been paroled into the United States. They're living with family members, um, and they're trying to secure legal assistance. Uh, unfortunately, we don't really have the best infrastructure in place to support that. Um, the path of the migrant starts from their family's home and they'll go to different community-based organizations seeking help. Uh, but once they get there, it, it's, it's very minimal at best. Uh, my understanding is that, you know, they're basically giving, given a sheet, a referral sheet for them to just go to Catholic charities. Uh, Catholic charities, uh, is overwhelmed and they stopped accepting clients a long time ago. Hmm. So probably I would say maybe sometime early spring this year, that's when I realized people were calling my office, you know, at a, at an excessive rate seeking help. Um, but when I told them that I was a private attorney and, you know, I explained the process, you know, consultation fees and stuff, they get discouraged. So I saw a pattern for a number of months, just people just not even able to afford a consultation fee. And, and then I just started, you know, just looking and trying to figure out what's going on. So that's when I decided to, you know, call Catholic Charities myself. And, um, and, uh, and like the migrant said, you know, nobody would answer the phone. So then I would call some of the CBOs and say, hey, what kind of illegal assistance is actually going on? And I learned that the, the definition of legal assistance is actually just a referral to Catholic charities. So right now, migrants are, let's say, well, I, can, I can speak about New York City, but we have thousands of migrants here living in New York City, living in families' homes, um, looking for employment. Uh, they end up working off the books at some of our favorite restaurants, getting paid $9 an hour, then being told that taxes are being taken from it, which isn't you know, more egregious lie, but they're being taken advantage of right now. Mm -hmm. um, because they don't have the legal assistance, they can't even file their asylum applications properly. Um, it's just so much going on right now. And uh, we don't have a voice there. You know, the migrants do not have a voice. No one's really speaking up for them. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a lot going on in, in, in New right. York and and the United States as a whole, you know, it's hard to address everybody's issues, but these are probably the most vulnerable people right now. 
And it's really unfortunate that they just don't have a voice. Um, there are some things that could help these migrants. Okay. Um, if everybody just lobbied and became politically active. Um, and, and I find that funny because I feel like the Haitian community was more politically active when we only had one um, Haitian elected in power. Now we have like the 10, 10 or more and uh, it's pretty quiet, but I digress. Um, what I want to say is that there are some solutions. There are some things that can help mitigate, uh, mitigate the situation right now for these Haitian migrants and um, specifically the redesignation of temporary protected status. So what does that mean? So I know that so there's a couple of terms that you mentioned that I just want to make sure that the listeners understand. You had said CBOs, um, just to, to break that down so they understand what a CBO is. Uh, a CBO is a community-based organization. It's a nonprofit organization. Okay. So some of the nonprofit uh, you, organizations that we have in our communities that do community work, those would be considered, th- these would be the CBOs that you're referring correct, to. Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. So these CBOs, they uh, generally handle a lot of social services, uh, which I, I applaud them for that. Um, but I guess it's not its not really their fault, but I, I don't believe uh, the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs really understood the landscape. And, um, and grants were issued to CBOs and to Catholic charities without really understanding or having a really a more effective solution in place. Mm-hmm. So um, I've given... I've proposed certain uh, certain solutions, uh, such as um, private vouchers, you know, vouchers to private lawyers, or even um, reaching out to some ethnic bar associations mm-hmm. and uh, and trusting them with the grant money so they can allocate it to their uh, attorneys that practice in that space. So um, we'll see how that plays out. Emmanuel, I do have a question with that because there was a period of time where we were hearing and not 100% sure how accurate this was, but that there was not enough immigration attorneys that actually handled or were familiar with deportation defense. And so although, you know, there, you know, there, there are immigration attorneys out there, many were saying that, you know, it's not necessarily you know you could have all the money that you that you need but that there were not enough there was a shortage of of immigration attorneys that were familiar and actually understood deportation defense and handled deportation defense what's your take on that yeah well well whenever there's a shortage you you uh create more so again some of this funding could have been allocated to these ethnic bar associations, which could have provided CLEs, which could have brought a lot of attorneys up to speed, uh, persuaded attorneys to join the area of immigration law. Mm. It's actually a pretty satisfying area of law. Not the most lucrative, but very satisfying nonetheless. Um, I'm sure Halani or these other ethnic bar associations uh, with other professionals like judges and other immigration uh, practicing immigration lawyers can assemble and train other lawyers. We can reach into the law schools and just start prepping because you're right. There aren't that many Haitian American immigration lawyers in New York city. I can probably name five. You're right. Mm-hmm. We need more. Right. We need more. So, uh, so we, and we need to start that now. So by next year we can have 10. 
I, I mean, I, I, a lot of my colleagues, they don't practice immigration law every day. Uh, so they call me all the time for advice. I mean, I've been, I've been teaching people how to be immigration lawyers for some time now. Mm-hmm. It's not the hardest thing in the world. Right. And and I can attest to that as somebody who's done immigration work as well, even though that's not my primary focus. Um, and I think that I think that that point is 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 well made where funding could go into uh, continuing legal education, which is the CLEs, um, which is how many of us attorneys learn about other areas of law. Like one thing about lawyers, we were trained, we trained to learn and trained to absorb. And so shifting into different areas of law is not something that's particularly hard for most of us to do, as long as we have that training. Um, and that is something that, that I believe, like you said, the, the ethnic bar associations, even even the larger scale, right? Even the, the larger scale bar associations, the American bar associations, understanding that there is this shortage um and there is a and there is a crisis and it's not even really just with with haitian migrants right there are migrants of of all backgrounds you know oh, yeah fl- you know ent- entering into the united states at at in, you know ex- exceeding rates so this is not just something even though for us you know we are focusing on 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 the haitian migrants one because we are of Haitian descent and we want to make sure that there are pathways for our people, but that this is, this is really an area of law that needs, you know, serious focus because, you know, we have our Hispanic brothers and sisters who are coming in. And as we've seen across the world, even we have the Europeans that are coming in. So there's a lot going on in the immigration front that really requires our attention. So I know that before we had went back to just uh, clarify some terms, you were going into some solutions and you had mentioned a redesignation of TPS. Now, again, you know, a lot of our listeners are, are, are lay people when it comes to immigration, when it comes to law. So what if we could just briefly talk about what is TPS for those who have no idea what TPS is, and then we can go into what what a redesignation of TPS would mean for these purposes. Sure, sure. TPS, um, or Temporary Protected Status, was passed in Congress in the early 1990s. It was passed because countries at the time that were suffering from political conflict or natural disasters, you know, severe natural disasters, uh, it was concluded that those countries couldn't take their residents back, their nationals back during that during those crises. Um, so the United States is humanitarian benefit. You didn't want to have to send people back to uh, places where they couldn't, you know, were no longer habitable. Mm-hmm. So uh, many countries have had temporary protective status over the years. Um, and what that does is the residents here are not going to be returned home. And while they're here, they're going to be provided work authorization. So uh, Haiti was designated for TPS uh, in 2010 as a result of the cataclysmic earthquake on January 12th. Mm-hmm. Right. So the designation date uh, or that cutoff date, you know, the reside by date was January 12th, 2010. Um, so. Haiti makes the initial request for designation. Um, A lot of Haitian migrants were still coming through the border. So DHS secretary at the time, I believe it was Napolitano, 
redesignated TPS, meaning the date was changed from January 12, 2010 to January 12, 2011 to make sure that the people coming in or the people that were skeptical of the application process were able to still apply. Now, this redesignation is nothing uncommon. In fact, Burma, the country of Burma, was just redesignated uh, here in September of 2022. Mm-hmm. I don't have the initial date in front of me, but it was just redesignated, allowing more Burmese nationals residing in the United States to apply for this benefit. So, my, my, one of the solutions here, I believe, is that because these migrants are not getting the legal assistance that they need, uh, they can't afford or can barely find here in these inner cities, and their cases are being prejudiced, then I believe it's our prior, it's our objective, it's our business to speak up for them and to lobby DHS Secretary, DHS Secretary Mayorkas and see if we can change the reside-by date meaning we can ask for a redesignation. You know, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. Right. Um, but what, what that would do is changing it, pushing the date back a whole year later will allow all of the migrants who came post Jovenel assassination. The height of that was in August and September, not July. It would allow those people who entered the United States to be eligible for temporary protected status they can secure work work authorization, and they can administratively close their deportation cases while they figure life out so they can stabilize their life, then secure an attorney, and then figure out a path to getting a green card in the United States. You know, a lot of these migrants traveled nine countries just to get here. And when they're here, you know, they're being uh, overlooked and neglected. So it's really unfortunate. Um, another solution that I, that I have in mind is that, again, we have a problem with securing legal assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand there's an issue with the funding, but, uh, but we can, we can provide right to counsel. I believe that is something that it's the city's prerogative to do this, uh, right to counsel was passed for landlord-tenant court, uh, I believe a couple years ago. It's a civil matter. Um, because this New York City understands that it's very important to make sure that people are not homeless. Right. So with that being said, I think New York City understands that it's very important that it shouldn't allow its businesses to take advantage of immigrants by hiring them illegally. I, I think New York City should make it its business to make sure that these migrants also don't end up homeless. So New York City has concentrated a lot of its money on social services, which is great, but legal services for the migrants is just as important. Yeah, so I, I believe New- the city council needs to look into right to counsel to make sure that every immigrant that's going through the deportation process has fair representation so they can have the best chance at becoming legalized in the United States and New York City. So they're not living in the New York City shadows. Nobody wants that. That's why, that's why you know, the dream, the dream act and, you know, which never passed, but DACA was uh, instituted under the Obama administration because we wanted people to come out the shadows. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these migrants, you know, they have children. These children are going to graduate high school. And they're going to get stuck 
can't go to college. So we have to figure out a way now to uh, to prepare the path for them. You know, as you're talking, you know, you're I'm hearing city government, city council. Um, Is there. Is there a reason, and maybe maybe I'm just you know just trying to to think through this. Um, is it something that the Senate, the State Assembly, could be involved in, or is this more so a city a city council? I don't want to say initiative, but something that that would be best um, organized within the city council as opposed to the state and the uh, the assembly, et cetera. Right. I mean, I mean, everyone can reach out to their to their friends in, in, in the executive branch at, over there at DHS. I mean, it's not just limited to the city council. I just figured I, I recently saw that the city council was using its weight of New York City to lobby to uh, hasten the processing of work authorization cards. So I figured if they're doing that, then we might as, we might as well use the same weight of New York City uh, to uh, to make DHS understand what's going on on the ground here in New York City. Mm-hmm. I understand DHS, you know, has to go, you know, review the conditions in Haiti, you know, probably sooner than later. But uh, we need to make them understand uh, how bad it is over here as well, and why it should be redesignated, right. not just re- not just renewed, but redesignated. So, I guess, how have your efforts been in terms of, you know, reaching out to city council or or really getting anyone on board? with respect to this initiative, because it sounds to me just from what you're saying um, and just my understanding of just the overall situation, that this is something that is imperative and it's critical. And we need to, we need to, to strike now, especially as you said, another country, Burma recently received a designation. So this is something that is actively taking place. And with the state, the current state of Haiti, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even think you need to. <laughs> they need to send anyone over there to do investigations. I think it's pretty clear uh, that this is not a country where we can be sending people back, right? In fact, when I think the individuals that are currently here that unfortunately missed that deadline for TPS, I think that this is, if it's not the most opportune time to redesignate as you said um with 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 the crisis going on over there and then you know the lack of funding lack of resources um that's happening over here i think you know unfortunately it's like a perfect storm and we want to make sure that we get a handle of the storm before it becomes disastrous yeah yeah definitely definitely pretty bad uh conditions of haiti have gotten significantly worse. Um, I actually just read this morning that one of the Haitian senators uh, has actually been sanctioned and, mm-hmm. and can't even travel to the United States. Yeah, um, I know one of their gang leaders was also sanctioned internationally, and now I believe the United the United Nations is considering um, sending troops to you know entering the, uh, in Haiti just to uh, provide some stability for the for the ad hoc government that is in place now. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, you know, every time we have these conversations about what's going on in Haiti, it's, you know, it's disheartening because at the end of the day, you know, we live here in America and you would think that there's so much that could be done, especially for really for the migrants that are here within our, within our gates, right. Within our city limits. Um, And so I think that when we're, 
when we think about long term as opposed to, you know, what can we provide them today? I think that this redesignation approach, um, you know, is something that can have lasting uh, positive impact on the community. Um, And I think that the other proposal, which I believe, you know, it's been thrown around before. I'm just not sure why no one has latched onto it, this idea of um, training attorneys and 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 creating these training programs. I, you know, for me, I think that when the iron is hot, when the crisis is like in its like midst, that's when these conversations come up because it's not the first time. You know, when the Del Rio, uh, Texas Haitian migrant crisis took place, you know, we were in contact with law schools that were providing. Um, you know, uh, trainings that were providing deportation defense, um, CLEs. And there was this movement in a sense to try to recruit individuals to either become immigration attorneys or at least get them, um, you know, onboarded to, to an extent where they would be able to provide significant assistance. Right. So triage, right. At least right. the triage level, right. Right. And that, that was happening to an extent all over the country, because I was in conversations with my law school. I was in conversations with people from the American Bar Association, even that actually had a mini division that was uh, set up specifically for this issue. But then, you know, time goes on and you don't hear about these things anymore. And I'm not even sure if they're even happening anymore. And so I guess, how do we then keep what are the, you know, I'm always trying to come up with these, uh, cool, Keep the ball bouncing. Yeah. Cool. These cool, you know, metaphors, <laughs> these cool analogies. And it, I never land. I never, I never land, but yeah. How do we keep the ball going? Like, how do we, how do we keep the fire burning where it's not just when there's a crisis? Cause we are a very reactive community. We are a very reactive society. Something happens. Everybody drops what they do and they jump in. And it's not always sustainable because there's a lot of burnout. And I think those of us who were involved pretty early on in the Del Rio thing, we we got to a point of extreme, extreme burnout um, because we were working our real jobs, doing, you know, living our regular lives and then taking on this influx. Right. And I know that you know that as well, too, because you're you know, you were going through it and you're still going through it. But how do we keep that fire burning? Because this is not something that's going to go away overnight. And migrants are still coming in to the United States like they haven't stopped. So how do we keep the, the the I'm trying to find something clever, but you know, keep the finger on the pulse. Or how <laughs> how do we yeah. do that? Um, I, I'm not really sure. For me, um, you know, I enjoyed the music business a bit for the <laughs> two years that I was in it. Um, but when this was going on, um, you know, I felt the call of duty. You know, it was um, mm-hmm. I don't know. You just got to just make a commitment to, to, to this, to this satisfaction that you get from doing this work. I'm really, I'm addicted to it. Um, So for me, it's a little easier Uh, for most people. They probably haven't had the satisfaction enough, Mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know. I can't really speak on everybody. I mean, this society, we live, we're living in a microwave society. So I think that's a bigger, it's a bigger, you know, it's pretty broad. Um, But uh, but for actual an actual solution, 
you know, I believe you need a some type of immigration czar. <laughs> right. You know, maybe somebody going around, somebody going around to all of the CVOs uh, and reminding them what their purpose is. Yeah, I'm not really too sure. Well, it sounds like from what you're saying, it sounds like we need some sort of structure, right? Because I think that that's been one of the biggest issues, especially within our community when it comes to the CBOs, when it comes to activism, when it comes to work, right? Again, it's easier to be reactive. And I can say that even myself, like we, you know, we've all been victim to that. We've all, you know, we've all fell to that, right? Something's happening and we jump onto it. Um, but I think that structure, what I'm hearing is from you is that there, there, there needs to be some kind of structure. Cause you mentioned like having some sort of czar, although, you know, we're not look, looking for a czar, but some sort <laughs> of like body or committee or something that can serve as some, I don't want to say an audit committee of some sort, but some sort of checks and balances, especially when with situations where there's funding involved, right? Funding is coming in specifically. For Haitian migrants, what are the parameters of this funding? If one of the parameters of the funding is legal assistance, then there needs to be either an attorney, maybe one who's not necessarily so involved in the work, but somebody who is, who can, who can be an independent that understands, you know, the, you know, the assignment and can make sure that whether it's the five organizations or 10 organizations that received the funding, they have to then submit some sort of proposal as to how they are going to use the funds. And then there needs to be a check, you know, before they even spend these dollars where and how they're using it. Because I think if we were to set up a structure like that, you know, let's say you were on this committee with respect to, you know, the legal on the legal side, you'd be able to say, uh, uh-uh, just giving a migrant a list of where to go find legal services is not what the money was for. And at right. that, that they point, could just put up a sign. They could just right. put up a sign. <laughs> exactly. Send a text message, right? You don't even have to yeah. show up. So I think that that would make sense where somebody would, you know, who's managing the legal side would be able to say, this is not acceptable form of service. Um, let's do better. And then this idea, like you said, of, of a voucher, I think that that would be something that could work where they might have a list of three or four attorneys um, that will accept the vouchers, right? Just like how mm-hmm. you do with any social services when you're dealing with like food stamps or whatever, or clothes or whatever it is. Um, and then accept the, you know, that accept the voucher and then really create a voucher system. Because I right. think people are, are, are not understanding the, imp- how important the legal aspect of all of this is. Because at the end of the day, these migrants are going to have to show up in court at some point. Um, so I think that 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 could be something, you know, creating a structure. And I think the other thing that you and I were actually talking about offline was creating this policy team, because what I'm also seeing as a bigger issue, because I get approached by other organizations, other people with these, you know, random ideas, but it's all at the end of the day rooted somewhere with policy, right? These changes, these immigration reforms and these changes that we are seeking can only really happen in, you know, in the policy side, in the legislature, right? 
So yes, the attorneys are important because they're they're that 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 is something that's you can't take away, you know, immigration and attorney. Like there has to be an attorney involved somewhere. Um, but we know that a lot of these cases unfortunately are not the best. And yes, we have the attorney to go through the motions, but the outcome is still going to be the outcome. But I think if we are able to figure out or create a policy team with researchers, with immigration activists, immigration practitioners who really understand what's going on in the courts and then bring in, you know, some of these political players and some lobbyists, because I mentioned you mentioned lobbying earlier on in this call, I think that that could be a way to really see long term change. And, and and really hopefully develop a clearer pathway to citizenship for our Haitian migrants. And really, you know, again, not just our Haitian migrants, because there are other migrants who would also benefit from a structured system. So, I mean, there, there, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, but I think that if we were to sit back and think about what what is the core issue here? Why are we going back at this over and over again every few years? It's a policy. It's it's a policy issue, right? Um, oh yeah. And on yeah. the federal level, well, I mean, it's this is immigration has been like this political football for as long as I've known it. Right. And uh, elections coming up, House, House, the House and the Senate. There's a good chance we might lose it. Well, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the Republicans might take it over, so it's going to be chaos again, right? You know, and I believe uh, Donald Trump might be running again in twenty twenty four. That's what I heard. We and if I he heard. does run it, then I wonder what he's going to do with TPS. But I digress. Let's just worry about what's before us now. <laughs> well, you know, we and we do have to worry about what's going on now, but we also yeah. have to take a look into the future because, again, I think that that's why we keep getting to where we are is that we unfortunately there's so much we are only focusing about okay what's going on now what's going on now what's going on now where we're not you know thinking about the future in a sense to kind of prevent or at least alleviate so i think you know a lot of people they're interested in this immigration stuff but they're like i'm not a lawyer and they only think that okay well if i'm not a lawyer then i can't really do much but i think this is a perfect opportunity for those especially in our, in the haitian you know diaspora who want to be involved but are like i'm not a lawyer i'm not a doctor i'm not a nurse. i'm not like some of these very specific you know direct service providers but if you are a researcher, we have so many researchers in our community that went to school for like, you know, analytics and all this other stuff. Like we in order to really uh, get in front of the powers that be, in my opinion, you always need data. Right. And a lot of and that's something we lack. And I think in our community is data. So I think yeah. that there's so many opportunities for young Haitian Americans, young Haitians all over um, to figure out how you can use your discipline to really, you know, join whatever coalition is being formed to really get it, you know, to 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 the root of the problem. We need to start attacking the root of the problem and not just really deal with the surface as hard yeah. as that may be. But no, I agree. Yeah. Let's let's just hope someone <laughs> someone who's <laughs> listening because, you know, they always like, well, what you know, you know, you, why don't you do it? Well, you know, there's been attempts in the past and unfortunately 
there are pros and cons with our community. We band together very well when it comes to uh, crises. But once the crisis is over, <laughs> right, everybody gets back to. But it, you know, that's that's just right now. The United States, that's just the social media, right? You know? Right. You know? So well, we have to do better. I think you know we all have to do to do better, and 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 it's important that it's you know they say what is it? Um, um, I can never remember how to say that. Like if they're basically like the low is not going to be heavy if there's a lot of hands. And I think you just need to figure out where you fit in. Not everybody has to be the president of the organization. Not everybody has to to have their own CBO, right? When the person across the street does the same thing that you do. I think Mm -hmm. that if we were more collaborative um, and, and create teams, like the legal team is the legal team. The policy team is the policy team. Sometimes they'll overlap, but give people assignments in different realms so that people don't feel overwhelmed with doing yeah exactly exactly because the solution there's just we don't really have a true solution we can only just do our part and Mm -hmm. you know everybody just has to just do their part so if everybody does that then everything is going to work out all right everything will work out all right you know but i'm again this is not the first time we are not the first although you know i'd like to think that i'm a savant but we are not the first to come up with these solutions and these uh these ideas and this you know the structure process but hopefully somebody who is tuning in is like you know what i don't have a lot on my plate right now and i really really am passionate about haiti i'm passionate about immigration rights you know, let me see if I could, you know, be at, you know, create some coalition or partner with an existing organization that might be struggling in this. And let's do something. Hopefully yeah. somebody. For, for <laughs> me, like I said, for me, it was more of a, a decision, mm-hmm. you know, so it's something that really struck, you know, struck to my heart. Right. Um, after the first earthquake in Haiti in 2010, um, I was reaching out to a bunch of organizations and I, and I saw there was this organization that had an office in Philadelphia and, and had an actual site in Haiti. So I reached out to the director. He was actually a lawyer um, and he wanted me to go to Haiti with him at the time. I, I couldn't go. I was still studying for the bar and everything. And, and he was actually quite upset about that because <laughs> he was doing a lot. He was doing a lot for Haiti. Mm-hmm. And he told me, why is it that non-Haitians help Haitians more than Haitians? And that's kind of what's, you know, that's what, that's what did it. That's my modus operandi. That's what, you know, kind of changed my life, that right. statement right there. So I've always wanted to be a champion for um, my people. That's where I come from. Um, I am an immigrant. I came here when I was uh, five years old um, and I assimilated quickly. Um, and I, and I, and I understand that uh, the older you are, when you come here, it's a little, things are a little harder for you. And mm-hmm. And, you know, you just want to just get get your life in order as soon as you get here so you can compete in this race, this rat race. Right. So I try to do that for people. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and I and I hear that and I and I understand that. Well, I was born here. However, my mother, my parents came over when they were like old, like when they were like 35 years old. So like, these are gum ones. They came here and they're gum ones. They didn't go to high school here. They didn't go to college here. And so, you know, my first language was Haitian Creole because my grandmother wasn't having it. So I, you know, even though I was living here, I still, I had to go through a lot of the immigration process for them because they, you know, were not documented. 
And so I spent a lot of my childhood translating, you know, and reviewing paperwork in immigration court since I was, since I was, I guess, able to, to really read and comprehend. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, this is work that I've been doing since I was a kid. Um, so I, I totally understand like, you know, the process and, and the gratification satisfaction that comes through it. Um, and not everybody has these stories, but I think that as Haitians and Haitian Americans, again, even though you may not be connected so much to like the immigration process, because I think that that's what deters people, this idea that they have to be part of this immigration process. We need them to do paperwork, but there's so many skills that we have that we could lend to the cause. So I think if we think about how we can help, how we can be of service on a larger scale outside of, okay, they need me to go do immigration work or whatever. It could be lend us your data, your data analytics skills so that we can, you know, create data to, 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 you know, work with lobbyists. If you are somebody who has the gift to gab, you know, like maybe, you know, if you're a journalist, if you're, you know, marketing skills, marketing right, skills, exactly. Media. So, social media, right? I mean, yeah, I know we, we have a lot filmmakers. of right. filmmakers to make this uh, film about the path of the migrants. Right. There's, there's so you know. much that could actually be done that doesn't involve immigration courts or an immigration document. So I think we just need to change yeah. the narrative a bit and really show what the possibilities look like when it comes to being of service to the motherland for us, which is Haiti. So I think we went through a lot Definitely. on today's, uh, you know, talk. I think I really commend you for just, uh, coming forward and, and really giving us this information. Cause I don't really hear anybody talking about the redesignation of TPS at all. I haven't seen it brought up in any of the platforms that I follow and I follow a lot of them. So I thank you for being, you know, the champion that you are for your people, for our people. And being, you know, thinking outside the box and really keeping your finger to the pulse. I I keep messing it up, but you know what I mean. (laughs) I keep trying to (laughs) land the metaphor. Um, But no, seriously, because I think that this is important work. And I'm hoping that there are politicians or legislatures who are tuning in, especially the New York City ones. And I'm hoping that they will, you know, reach out and say, hey, where can we you know, contact Emmanuel because I want to, I want to learn a little more about this redesignation of TPS. Um, so Emmanuel, let us know where can we find you? How can we contact you? If there's somebody who's tuning in, who's like, my cousin is, you know, Senator so-and-so or city council so-and-so, and I'm going to send this, you know, clip to her, or I'm going to send them Emmanuel's contact. What's that? Where can we get you? Um, I guess you can reach me via email. It's, uh, it's pretty simple. It's lawyer at the law that's my last name the pass b as in delta e as an echo p as in papa a as an alpha s as in sierra law.com so the law lawyer at the law.com okay now are you on instagram because you know we're dealing with some gen z's here who are like what's email i don't know what that is <laughs> but i could slide up in I a am. dm <laughs> i am on the gram i am on the gram uh, my handle is Manny the Lawyer. And that's M-A-N-N-Y? Yes, M-A-N-N-Y, the T-H-E, the lawyer, L-A-W-E-R. 
right. And uh, so you might see some workout videos and you might see some advocacy posts. I mean, listen, you're that. human. You- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a full life. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Emmanuel, again, thank you so much for, for coming on here and educating us and, and really helping us, you know, think outside the box when it comes to solutions for Haiti and what we can do, you know, for our brothers and sisters who are currently here navigating this space. Um, you, you know, again, just just really thank you for that. Oh no, my pleasure, my pleasure. And thank you for providing the platform. And uh and thank you for always being on 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 the team uh that we are recruiting to uh help solve this. So yes. <laughs> you All know right. I'm, I'm always a team member. So oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's go. Let's do it. All right. All right. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host, and I will talk to you guys next week. You were listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. About time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. I can't wait to come back. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's all